about that? Uh, can you hear me okay in the back? Yeah, good. It's just um, sitting there in those few minutes before launching some words and just uh, practicing with the, the nerves. And I remembered um, one of the first talks I gave, gave many years, I mean, not that many, but some years ago. And uh, somebody, a yogi in the room, later told me that he could hear my heart beating through the microphone. <laughs> I'm not that nervous right now. <laughs> So I'd like to talk a little tonight about wise effort, which is uh, one of my favorite topics, and because it's been such a important um, teaching and emphasis and practice for me, but also because it feels like a, a somewhat confusing topic, especially at this moment in time when it can seem like there's so many things to do, right? so much need all around us and um, so much need for our engagement. And it's true there are a lot of things to do, but it's also true that we're never going to finish them all. right? We're not going to get to the end, so wise effort really calls us to yeah, consider what we really value, to both surrender to the wildness of life and to still take responsibility for our participation. In fact, participation is one way I think of or sometimes define effort, the effort to participate skillfully with the wildness, not you know, trying to get rid of it, And so wise effort is a kind of persevering effort, wholehearted effort without attachment, we might say. And also the effort to be more continuous because living with presence is a high value. And Chaz was saying a couple days ago what it meant to him to bow, right? And I was just reflecting on this back at my little hut before coming here, that bowing is really just a a moment of presence, of valuing presence, of remembering to value presence, remembering that I value presence, right? It's both an honoring, so kind of a devotional aspect of practice for me, honor the teacher, our teachers, my teachers, who have taught me about valuing, valuing presence. But if there are thousands of moments during my day and during my life where I forget, at least in a moment when I bow, it's like, oh yeah, I remember this, something that I actually don't want to forget, that being aware, being present in a kind of integrated way is really important to me. And I learned this, this is illustrated for me when Devin was speaking, I guess, last yesterday about ending up at a protest, I remembered uh, a story back in 2014 when some of you might remember the, a big protest at the Mall of America, which is in, the, in Minneapolis where I live. And I was there, and with a couple of friends, we went together. And it was, there were thousands of people there who were protesting the, the killing of Jamar Clark, 
my police officers in North Minneapolis. And it was, like I said, widely attended. And we were in the rotunda, so people were spread all throughout the mall and outside. But we were, like, right in the middle. And there were, uh, it seemed like, at least dozens of police in riot gear. You know, and they weren't too far away from me, just kind of maybe to the back of the room. And right in front of them, a row of clergy. Right? Just from one end to the other, a row of clergy. And then probably four or five rows back, my friends and I. And the, the police in riot gear have an obvious impact on a room, right? As do the clergy. And so I remember just like valuing their presence, sitting there, standing there with as much presence as possible as a way of modeling something for the rest of us and feeling the kind of responsibility to take care of my own heart in a moment like that so that the quality of my presence reflects something that will be beneficial to the room. It wouldn't have been useful to be reactive and flying all around on the inside. That wouldn't have supported, supported what we were there to do. So this value really, really came home. And the effort that it took to regulate and re-regulate when there's so much energy in a space like that. seeking some balance of mind, balance of heart for the good of all. So what is wise effort? Um, We might also say that wise effort is about learning to participate skillfully, but not appropriate. And we've been saying this in many ways throughout the last few days, that mindfulness and stability of mind is in service of developing, deepening, a kind of clarity that helps us, un- that a kind of clarity of mind that helps us live well, right? That helps us see deeply into the, the the deepest truths that the Buddha spoke about, right? Impermanence, that all of this, what we're experiencing, is not our fault, but it's a result of causes and conditions coming together in a particular way. And when we misunderstand that and kind of take it own something, take ownership of something that's not ours, that's what we might call appropriating, right? So we're learning how to participate skillfully with experience, with the internal experience of our hearts and minds, without appropriating. Because we don't have control, but we do take responsibility. And we're always making effort. Sometimes it can feel like, uh, what, what are we doing <laughs> sitting still when there's so much to do? But we're always making, making effort, right? We're making effort in our intentions, in our thoughts. We're always participating like this. Our thoughts, our intentions, our actions all leave a residue. They leave a residue that's felt in the next moment, right? We're all swimming in history right now. We're feeling the legacy of previous moments. So there's no way to get out of participation. We could lock ourselves in a closet for seven years and it would be a kind of participation, right? Right. So when we practice wise effort so that we can value presence and participate skillfully and contribute something beneficial to our own 
learning our own health and well-being and that of others, we're really taking care of everybody like this. The word, the the Pali word that precedes effort, wise effort, sama is this word, and it can it's usually translated as wise or something like that. But I've also heard it talked about as complete, which I really appreciate that. Because a, a complete effort is in service of something, of a balanced and integrated awareness. An awareness that's integrated in our, our, our beingness and really kind of reminds me of this, uh, the legacy that we're swimming in, right? The legacy that we're leaving and the historical legacy that we're swimming in moment by moment. If we forget one aspect of the path, you know, it's not complete effort. If we forget ethics, you know, it's not complete effort. If we forget to take care of our minds and just move around doing things that we think are important and they might be, then it's not a complete effort either. It's not a fully integrated effort. So in the Noble Eightfold Path, all the teachings are included there. I think Chaz has said that. And Wise Everett has, you know, they're all embedded in these eight factors, but wise effort has its its own factor, you know, so it's a big deal. And it's linked, it's first in, the, in its grouping, right? So white, wise effort is in service of wise mindfulness. And wise mindfulness in service of wise concentration might be one way to describe it. I prefer continuity, right? Concentration tends to evoke something that makes me want to go get it. <laughs> But continuity is like, oh yeah, it's a steadiness, a stability that we can remember again and again and again, even if we forget again and again and again. We can still remember and pick it up and continue on. So when cultivated, when wise mindfulness, with the when a complete mind, when a complete effort, a wise effort is cultivated. Well, it leads to the other two, mindfulness and concentration. And as you've probably seen already on retreat, often our effort is a bit misguided. Have you seen yourself wanting to get to the end? (laughs) Wanting to get past this or get over this? Or have you asked yourself, like, you know, what am I getting out of this? Am I progressing? Am I making progress fast enough? Am I going to be, am I going to be awakened by the end of this retreat? (laughs) What's it going to be like when I go home? Am I going to be a new new being? But that's not, I don't mean to break it too hard, but it's not the kind of journey that we're on. Deepening happens over time. One of the, uh, yeah, in the, in the teachings in the Satipatthana, a word is used to, over and over, this word ardent. And this is the way the, the teachings are described. 
And it's like the Buddha teaching us how to practice, right? And ardent is usually described as a balanced, sustained, and even enthusiastic effort, right? But if we consult Webster, (laughs) we can also see that ardent is described as warmth of feeling or even devotion, right? So we can feel the balance right here. Yes, it's a persistence and a remembering and a sustaining effort, but it's also balanced with a receptivity, right? And a a sensitivity and a kind of honoring, right? A feeling. So it's not about a race to the finish, but a kind of participation, a loving, receptive, allowing kind of participation that doesn't deny or try to resolve, doesn't deny what's here. It doesn't deny the importance of practice, but it's not trying to get over anything either. We're not trying to somehow get rid of the mind's habits. Habits are habits. They're here lawfully. And as we learn how to participate with our, with our internal experience, because remember the Buddha was exclusively interested in how the internal shapes the external. So what we see in the collective, what we see in our communities, you know, is all a result of our internal conditioning, the quality of the mind when we create the quality of the mind when we engage. So when we want to plant beneficial seeds in the world, when we want to participate well in the external, we first take care of the internal and see what happens. And here's where we learn how to live with more skill. And so when we're meditating and on on a retreat, practicing mindfulness throughout our entire day, all of the many adjustments that we make, remembering to be aware, adjusting the posture, intuiting our own, intuiting what our own needs are and being willing to listen to the heart and respond skillfully. That's a very subjective thing to do, right? You've probably noticed like all the instructions, they work some of the times, but not all of the times. Right? Because we're all, we're all unique human beings. And the quality of our minds are slightly different moment by moment. But what we're really doing in any, in any moment, no matter how we're participating, what we're choosing to do, we're balancing, we're finding a way to have a balanced mind. Right? We can see that when the mind is too energetic, things don't work out that well. When the mind is too sluggish, things don't work out that well. If we value a continuity of awareness and a, a kind of presence that's renewing moment by moment, then we're really seeing how balanced we can be. 
and not balanced by pushing away experience, but by balancing by moving with it, right? Energy comes, we learn how to be there with that, respond well, skillfully participate, and then things settle down and we, you know, we just keep moving like that. So interest, it's a balance of interest, enough interest, energy, to stay interested, enough relaxation to receive and not push. And when the energies are balanced in these sweet moments, then awareness becomes more natural, more easeful, right? A little less personal effort might even be needed here. Have you noticed this in moments? Yeah, when mindfulness seems to have, take on a, a life of its own, like, wow, the thing, it feels a bit easy right now. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> that's how it goes. The energies are somewhat balanced in, this, in these moments. And it's good for us to take that in, like, oh, yeah, this is, this is it. And when mindfulness, when the energies are balanced like that, then mindfulness can come a little bit easier and a stability is established. That's where stability is established. So we might, we might actually say that awareness is a natural state of the undefended heart. When the heart's not trying to get anywhere or push anything away, it's just in a place, an easy place of allowing, right? The heart's not, not really trying to protect itself. So the question then is, well, how do we encourage the heart to be undefended? That's a good question, isn't it? Hmm. Well, how would we encourage a child? What would we do when we wanted to encourage a child to do anything? Well, it'd be kind of, kind of an integrated encouragement, right? Maybe some patience, a lot of patience, some steadiness, consistency, a lot of love, right? Force wouldn't necessarily work. Can be resolve and some wisdom and interest in what's going on there. So a kind of balanced effort, a balanced, persistent effort. Balancing an urgency to help the child so perhaps that they don't get hurt or something like that. But also with a lot of patience because we understand they're just learning. And also integrated with our presence and a sense of belonging, right? No, no kind of rejection, you're bad, I'm good, I know, you don't. And this is perhaps a a similar approach that we could use with our own hearts. Not a kind of demanding effort, but a patience that comes from an understanding that habits are just habits. They're just a force of nature. They're here for a reason. Like Rebecca said, they're, they're protective in some way. Sometimes confused, right? True. Habits can be confused. But they'll reoccur when the time is right. And we don't get to have full say over when that is. So instead of demonizing our habits, the habits of mind, we can actually honor them, right? Because they're here lawfully. They're a force of nature. The same way we would honor the change of seasons, right? It's kind of amazing when we, if you've walked around, taken walks in the forest, you know, just the natural world and its wildness and its 
synchronicities, you know, how the air and the soil and the earth, the sun, the light, the temperature, all of these conditions come together in particular ways to give rise to a, an experience the way it is. And every time I come to Barry, it's just a little bit different than it was before. Some things feel similar and familiar, but they're not exactly the same. So although our habits might be confused, they're, they're, they're to be honored and not rejected. Even the habits of dissociation, denial, anxiety, anger, all here for a reason. Patterns that have sometimes been seeded over generations or lifetimes. There's a uh, one of the this, it's very simple sutta that I like. It's quite popular. It's a time when a uh, the Buddha was asked a very simple question. And sometimes I like to imagine um, these stories, like with people with the and the Buddha too, with a playful mind, just human, make them feel real to me. So this the Buddha was asked. How did you cross the flood? And the Buddha, the Buddha replied, by not hurrying or tarrying. That's how I crossed the flood. And I can imagine the person going, okay, but how, really? Did you cross the flood, right? And then he, then he said something simple, like, well, when I hurried, I got swept away, and when I tarried, I sank. So by not hurrying and not tarrying, did I cross the flood? And one of the things I love about this is that the Buddha says, hey, friend, you know, just gave him an answer. But he didn't kind of go through a long list of like, well, this is how I did it, step by step by step by step. He just responded in this very simple way, meeting the person in the way they asked the question. How did you cross the flood? Like, well, this is how I crossed the flood, right? By not hurrying, and I sank, and I got swept away by the current. And he's, of course, talking about the internal the internal floods, right, are suffering, not the external. So it's very relational response. And can we think of the number of times and we that we felt like we're drowning or we can't keep our head above water? You know that we want to just quit. Nod your head if you felt like you want to quit one time. Yeah, totally normal. <laughs> totally normal. But this crossing the flood by not rushing or not standing still like points to the steadiness of effort, the balanced effort, and also the relationship to experience. Because the question is about how did you cross the flood, not what is the flood, right? What is the experience? Like Because if we can get away from that one experience, then we might be on our way. That's not it, right? It's how did you cross the flood, right? The, the flow of sensation, the flow of experience, the ongoingness of it. And it seems that the Buddha is also pointing to our resiliency here. 
it's not a kind of passivity, right? This path, the way that we make effort is not a, a kind of passivity, just sit and wait. It's an, it has an active, an activeness to it, right? We're like watching and learning and making adjustments and deciding, making decisions, even through a, a period when we're very still and silent and eyes closed. This is all happening internally, right? Yeah. And it's not just like saying, oh, well, this is just the way it is, right? Because there's that activeness there. But recognizing that which is already happening, that which is already here. It's a nod to the way it is. Oh, yeah, this is the way it is. Experiences like this. What can I learn here? The allowing part, right, is about what is already here not denying what is already here, but meeting experience with some degree of balance in our hearts, doing our best, and then adjusting when we need to. I also love it about this little sutta that the Buddha's like, you know, this is the way it was for me. We can imagine the Buddha was, you know, this extraordinarily wise being, but he struggled. He made mistakes on his way to understanding, to deepening understanding, just like we are, trial and error. We figure it out as we go. I said that many times in group today. Well, what, what would you intuit? What would your intuition? And most often, you, you have said such, what, you know the answers to your own questions, right? You have a sense of what is needed because you're really listening. It's really beautiful. And sometimes the effort, you know, sometimes experience is intense. So although mindfulness doesn't have a preference about what experience is here, doesn't have a preference as if it's pleasant experience or unpleasant or intense or mild, mindfulness has no, it's just like a mirror reflecting back what's already here, right? It doesn't deny, we're not denying that sometimes experiences can be even overwhelming, If we, if we're honest, you know, if we, we're really, if we're honest with ourselves, there are more of these moments than we probably would like to admit, where we feel a bit overwhelmed, even overwhelmed with boredom. Right? It doesn't have to just be emotional pain or physical pain, but sometimes, like, you might feel like you might die from boredom. Have you felt like that yet? You don't want to say it. It's true, though, huh? <laughs> I remember walking at Cloud Mountain on the deck in my hermitage. I was there for a number of weeks by myself, and I thought that, like, I am so bored right now. I think I'm, I don't know how I'm going to make it one more minute, much less more days. I feel like I might die. <laughs> and it felt so funny to me, like, from boredom? Like, of all the things to die from, from boredom? But it can feel that intense. <laughs> so... Part of you know what we're doing when we're making effort is being is being real about that, right? Not trying to somehow put on a, a good Buddhist good Buddhist face and pretend like everything is just cool. Well, we're just I'm just cool. 
but really to be real about what's going on and to, to acknowledge that, like, oh, this is really hard, and to be willing to adjust, always to be willing to adjust. The body can be a really intense place sometimes, especially if we've had traumatic experiences, right? The body can carry a lot of of that energy and hold on to it. And as Rebecca once reminded me, the body is a very slow learner. So the body will get activated even when there's no current threat, right? And we'll go, oh, what's that? What's going on here? Whole wave of anxiety for nothing. Intellectual mind might understand that, but the body might not. So it can be real skillful to make effort to cultivate a capacity to be with what feels soothing, nurturing even. Right? That's a real skillful way to make effort. And to be able to be willing to move in the body or to leave a sensitive place in the body, right? to open to hearing. And with the body, I feel it in the breath. This feels intense and teetering on overwhelming. I'm just going to open my eyes and look around, notice all the people. Right? That really, can be really skillful. Or to find neutral locations in the body. Sometimes the body can feel overwhelming to me, and the fingertips are quite alive and sensitive. And so I'll just like allow the attention to go there, invite the intention to go there. There was a, a retreat that I, I did. I was off by myself at Common Grounds Retreat Property, which is now a real retreat center. Small, but it's real. This was back when we had just purchased the building. It was out in the country. It wasn't a retreat center at all. It was just like a single-family home, and I was there by myself for a long time. I didn't have a car. Somebody dropped me off. It was a, about an hour and a half outside of, outside of the, the city. And for whatever reason, the mind just got like really swept away by a lot of fear. And sitting was not the right thing. So, and I learned that by trial and error, by f- trying to force, make effort, right? To force the body to sit still with eyes closed. And what, what happened? Fear became terror, right? And that is really unmanageable. <laughs> it's not, you can't meditate like that, right? So I learned that like this has to be honored. This has to be honored. And there was a way that practice walking with my shoes off on the dirt at night, up and down the driveway. I'm sure the neighbors were like, oh, what's going on here? But just up and back, up and back, late at night, right? You know, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is enough comfort, enough soothing energy, the, the light breeze outside for the mind to not tip into terror, for fear to be there, I'm not trying to get rid of the fear. It's, you know, it's okay, but just to not tip. And then in the day, I would lay, there was you know, a room that had a, a, a very nice mattress and a lot of windows. And so in the day, like sitting was too hard with my, still with my eyes closed, I would lay on my back on the nice cushy mattress, too much agitation for the mind to go to sleep. So I would just lie there and just feel the breeze. And that was enough. It was just enough, right? So being willing to make these adjustments and lean in to the pleasant experiences around us that might support our continuing. 
so that we can continue to remember the value of presence. And honestly, that short period on retreat, well, felt like forever, but it wasn't. (laughs) And there's this lingering residue in the heart that like, oh, fear is not that scary. And although terror was very pleasant, that there was some courage and capacity that was established from learning, from the learning of how to be with it. So that this, sometimes I'll have this phrase in mind, like, everything is workable, sweetie. Everything is workable. So we learn how to make these adjustments, how to how to make wise and complete effort by listening to the heart, being real and listening, being honest. And every moment is different in such a complex human system. Right. Another one of my, I'll end with this, I think. My favorite stories is of this musician, Sona. And Sona was a real serious, like more of a warrior type practitioner. Right? It said that he was doing walking meditation till the soles of his feet were bloody. It's a lot of walking. And at some point, you know, Sona was like, God, I'm going to give this up. This is just too much. You know, of course, this is my playful way of feeling into Sona's experience. I'm just going to go back to my family. I'm going to, they're business people. You know, I'll do some good with that money. I'll just hang it up. And the Buddha was right there. <laughs> and what I love is that he didn't admonish Sona. He didn't go like, Sona, you're doing it all wrong. Don't walk like this. Walk like this. But he was like, Sona, friend, remember, remember back when you were a musician, right? And when you were a musician, Sona, when you, t- when you strung your instrument, when you s- made the strings a little bit too tight, did the, did the music, did the instrument sing? Sona's like, no. Okay, well, when you, when you strung them a little bit too loose, did the instrument sing? No, right? He's like, so you have to find the right pitch for your instrument. You know, that's how to practice, not like this. So our heart is our instrument, right? So if we're efforting too much, then it's not going to work. It's not gonna, we're not going to find that sweet spot where awareness becomes natural. And if, the, and if we're too lax, you know, if we forget, if we're just like, forget it, right? Lazy, we don't care, right? That might happen moment by, you know, in some moments, but if we stay there, then, you know, it's not going to work either. Right? We're not going to be able to develop the kind of uh, presence that we want to have in our life. We're all here because we want to be mindful in our lives, right? We're not going to be able to do that with without um, being attentive in this way. And I did a little research uh, to learn a little bit about, you know, what might, what more can I learn from this, this story? And I, I learned that instruments at this time, you know, they were, as you might imagine, all handmade. And they were all handmade to fit a particular body, Right? And often we imagine strings like plastic right now with these little knobs at the top, and you just, right, tune, tune, tune. 
And so it can feel like the, t- the turning of the strings is the most important thing. But strings at, the, at this time, they were probably like rope that was knotted and pulled, right? So it, it required some ongoingness, right? refining the effort, fitting the instrument to the body in a way. And the instrument singing is about an attunement, an embodied attunement with the instrument, right? I found that really beautiful when I learned this. And so we're all doing this listening in the context of a very sensitive body. It's really a dynamic process. That's a, that we attune, listen, make a little adjustment. Sometimes we make a little adjustment and we can listen for a long time. And other times we need to make an adjustment again and again and again. We need to remember and then remember and then remember, you know, sometimes second by second. Remember to be aware. Remember to be aware. Remember that we have a body. Remember that this heart is sensitive. Right? Sometimes it's like just, just once. And then the heart, we can really listen a long time. Right? Sometimes a little bit, you might have noticed this too, sometimes a little bit we'll get lost in thought and we'll make an adjustment, like even a deep breath. And sometimes that's enough. And sometimes we can overcorrect, like open the eyes, and then the mind drifts off into a lot of thinking. We're like, oh, a little bit too much, right? A little bit too much. But that's how we learn. So our practice is really relational. It's a lot of attunement. And this helps us to, when we can learn how to take care of our hearts in this way, to listen, to attune, to respond, it can really help us relate to other people too. And it can help us listen to other people or relate to other people because we can feel into the how nuanced it is to be a healthy, skillful human being, right? And how easy it is to lose our minds in a moment, right? And just like do something unskillful or think unskillful thoughts. Like, where did that come from? Oh my gosh, right? And then we feel bad about that. And we can see how that happens, without awareness, without a value of presence, you know, then we just get swept away by greed. We get swept away by trying to control things. We get swept away in our confusion and indecision. And so we begin to see each other as imperfect learners. We actually begin to see each other as learners rather than people who have got something. Right? We begin to see ourselves as learners. Oh, look at this. I'm a creature. I'm an alive, vibrant, wild creature who's just learning moment by moment by moment. And I'm more interested in the learning than I am about the experience even, right? Because the learning is what helps us be more more the people we want to be. It's a radical reorientation to life when we think about things like this. So we're not trying to acquire or achieve or become so much, which is like part of the fabric of how we normally do life. But we're giving ourselves over to just being a learner. 
such a gift. There's this small book of poetry called The First Free Woman. Maddie Weingast took the, the, the poems the, of the Terigata. The Terigata is this tiny little book of poems written by the first awakened women at the, at the time of the Buddha. It's wonderful. And he took each of those poems and he rewrote them in like a modern day way of writing. And they just feel so... Uh, these women really have come alive to me in this, in this way by reading this book. And this is one of my favorites, and I'll, I'll end with this. And they're named by the, uh, the person, the, the bhikkhuni at the time. So Vijaya, or Victor. When everyone else was meditating, I'd be outside circling the hall. Finally, I went to confess. I'm hopeless, I said. The elder nun smiled. Just keep going, she said. Nothing stays in orbit forever. If the circling is all you have, why not make the circling your home? I did as she told me and went on circling the hall. If you find yourself partly in and partly out, if you find yourself drawn to this path and also drawing away, I can assure you, you're in good company. Just keep going. Sometimes the most direct path is in a straight line. keep going words for us all let's sit for a minute and just let go of the words Thank you so much for your practice this evening, for your listening, being here and doing this together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.